Hello and welcome to episode three of the Destreaming Dish. My name is Katherine Foster. And I'm Andrea Siska. And once again, we are joining you from Cardinal Carter's Historical Room. On today's episode, we have two members from the Equity Department joining us. We have the wonderful Mark Bryce and the wonderful Aileen Santiago. Yay! Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having us. Awesome to be here. In this episode, we're going to try something a little different from our first two episodes. We're going to have a round table discussion with our two equity members, Aileen and Mark. We've had teachers write in questions that they would like answered, and they all revolve around having an equitable education. So we thought who better than to answer these questions than Aileen and Mark, who have lots of lived experience. And because we were doing a round table discussion, we might not be able to be articulate all the time, but we, were tra- tr- we will try our best. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. So let's dive in to episode three. If I can be replaced by a robot, I should be. So, for our first question, Mark and Aileen, we'd just like to know if you could tell everyone listening a little bit more about what you do. What does your job entail? With the changing needs of education for our students, Student achievement and well-being has always been the focus. So I think our roles are to really consult with teachers, educators, and students to figure out what, where are the where are the missing pieces, what's where are the gaps, how can we really bring the same opportunities to all students because we do see those challenges in a field where most of our our educators are of a white dominant hegemony. Uh, we see that that dominant culture is not reflected in our students. So those students that do not connect or feel a sense of not belonging, um, how do we welcome them into our schools? How do we affirm their identities? Um, Whatever those may be, we we notice that there are so many different quote-unquote isms um, of our marginalized students that feel this sense of not belonging. So our work is really trying to identify ways that they feel this this belonging and what we can do to remedy that situation in supporting our teachers. So the thing with equity work is that it actually is about coming up against inequity every day. As as resource teachers, our role is to help uh, move the board forward, schools, uh, teachers, admin as well, uh, the community forward in in our equity goal and, and to really help address some of the gaps that Mark has identified. And we do that in many ways, through conversation, uh, through consultation, through development of resources, uh, through provision of workshops, uh, a lot of things, websites, so many things. Um, but it's really about keeping that conversation going, um, making sure that we break the silence on a lot of the isms uh, because so many norms that we deal with are are hidden from us that that we don't even see that we're swimming in it every day and that they drive our life and our students lives in ways that harm them and harm us too we have so many caring adults and caring teachers in our system that may be displaying this kind of you know non-inclusive language but they don't even they might not even notice or recognize it and then we have all these caring adults that are carrying out this work and don't, either, don't even recognize. And I think with these new roles, uh, we have an opportunity to really discuss the language that 
can identify, readily identify inherently what we're already doing. So if we can identify the the equitable practice that we already have and then amplify them so that they can be shared with colleagues, I think that you know we're on the right track to improving our system. Yeah, I think the, the only thing I'll add is like one of the the greatest things about our role actually is connecting to other departments like Andrea and Catherine, uh, mental health, safe schools. And one thing, one of the, you know, I don't know if I'm jumping the gun in terms of questions, but one of the biggest pieces of, of learning that I, I've gotten this year is that equity work is not you know separate it's actually work that we've all been doing uh you know since the beginning if you were a teacher that uh always asked yourself how can i help this student the one that's in front of me how can i help them overcome their barriers or or this student is experiencing some difficulties in my class and not necessarily engaging what is holding them back how can i address that you know in a lot of ways you were asking questions that are equity questions it's just that there's a lot of um uh, areas that we don't necessarily see because our experiences have hidden them from us. Um, our social location—that's an important, you know, concept. Positionality and equity is a really important concept. Um, so, so really, I think our role is definitely trying to open some of those, um, some open people's eyes to it, uh, and and uncovering, uh, removing some of the barriers to that knowledge, and making it easier for people to recognize the equity work that they are doing and that they could do. Thank you. That's amazing. You got your work cut out for you. <laughs> so we're going to start with a question from a teacher. Uh, Catherine, do you want to go ahead and read sure. the first question? So for you, both on the equity team, what makes a good learning experience? And that can include the student's learning experience and then even the teacher's learning experience. Really, really love that question. And I think that's, I think Aileen and I are both fortunate um, in a way to be informed by our lived experience and our lived experience as students. I think being both racialized, we've experienced um, being othered. We've experienced um, some prejudice. And I think we know how we don't like being taught, how we don't like being spoken to. So I think that is something for me as a teacher that has always informed my practice. So a good learning environment for me is where everybody there's no hierarchy. So in, in my classroom, I did my very best never to speak down to my students, to uh, decenter myself and really put students' feelings, wants, interests in the center of, of the classroom, to really value um, the cultural backgrounds, to really value the, the, the experiences that children are coming from, and to really acknowledge that we all come from different households, different families, and that all families, all cultures are equally welcome and valuable. So like to really have that centered in a classroom creates an environment where people are comfortable and are willing to learn. So I think for me as a child, being spoken down to and being told all the things that I couldn't do, it was, it was important for my practice to really be encouraging of my students, meeting them where they are and celebrating their successes. Mark, when you talk about decentering about yourself in the classroom, um, like the setup of the desks in your room. Yeah, you know what? In, in my last few years, my, my teaching my teaching partner and I, shout out to Mr. Cotton out there. Um, we decided to get rid of our, our teacher desks and even student desks and have something called flexible seating. And so with flexible seating, you know, it wasn't the, you know, high flyer group. It wasn't the, you know, the blue group. Um, students had an opportunity to sit where they wanted. Uh, the teacher has an opportunity to sit with different students, different groups every day so, th so that, you know, 
the variety of learning experiences uh, were present. So for those students who may have a hard time being critical thinkers, having the opportunity to sit with somebody that might be a little bit more along in their journey, they, they were able to, to watch them and, and, and that, that student model what it looks like. Um, so I think as a teacher, my, my role changed from when, when I decentered myself with this flexible seating, I wasn't in the front of the room lecturing as this knowledge holder, this knowledge keeper. I was more uh, a facilitator in the classroom and was able to empower my students to really guide their, their, own, their own learning. And I was there to be a support. I love that. That's great. Because ultimately, we're not just teaching our subject, right? We should be teaching the students in front of us. Aileen, did you have anything to add to the idea of a good learning experience? Yeah, thanks, Mark, for bringing up the word empower. I love that word in education because for me, that is that's the core of what we do. Uh, for me, what makes a really good learning experience is, is uh, it taps into, here's a word you could Google, which is liberatory um, education, liberatory uh, pedagogy. And what that means is, you know, a good learning experience is one that makes that student feel empowered and free free to create, free to be who, who they want to be, to imagine. It's definitely idealized, but, you know, taking the uh, Marx uh, example in the classroom, when that student is sitting next to him and recognizing, hey, this teacher is working with me and is giving me the tools in order to imagine these uh, questions to problem solve, and I'm, I'm developing my own sense of self as someone who can learn and who can, uh, you know, come to a problem and find my way through it. I mean, that is powerful stuff. That's a learning experience where a kid feels like I'm building myself up and I'm gonna take whatever I've gained today and I'm gonna bring it with me to tomorrow and, and you know, nothing's gonna stop me. For me, that's a great learning experience. So the whole idea of like transfer, being trans, transformative education, yeah. Absolutely, transformative. And, and you know, it has to be said that the way that we treat students, the way that we, we position ourselves uh, in the classroom with them has a great uh, plays a great role in in that 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 self that they imagine themselves to be. So you know we talk about a lot we talk about this a lot in equity, right? Where the history of education it was uh, definitely following a factory model where you wanted to have a certain cookie cutter pro, you know production of who a student is, um, and at the end they all had to be uh, to have this set of skills that are going to allow them to participate in the market and all that stuff, right? Um, and so as a teacher, if that's our goal, I have a quiz, a set quiz, and I'm going to have all these kids and I'm judging them by this standard only, and that's my goal, then, you know, your relationship with that child isn't, isn't about who they can be. It's not about what they can become, not what they can choose. It's not about their skills. It's just about how they can succeed in your class, given the parameters that you have limited yourself to. Mm -hmm. So, so that's a really, really important, um, in, in education, uh, and, and having that good learning experience. The questions, the core questions we begin with need to be, you know, who do we want our students to be, right? And then as an, as an educator, I think you have to be, have a really solid answer to that. Who am I in the classroom and what is my role? That's amazing, Aileen. And it actually kind of connects to our next question very well. Uh, yeah, Robin. absolutely. Aileen, I'm loving everything you're saying. Um, it really is, is hitting like the core of equity work uh, within our board right now. Um, our next question for you, yes, goes along with this. Do you think the goal of education has, has changed then? And have teachers been able to change along with this goal? <clears throat> uh, absolutely. 
the role the role of education the purpose of education is evolving um, you know education came about in this in the industrial revolution to really produce these 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 students who were meant to be worker <laughs> the worker bees right mm-hmm. it's like how do we get these these children ready for the workforce uh, times have changed we we now are in a space where innovation and critical thinking are centered um, we want students to understand things such as coding and and being entrepreneurs and these all there's no cookie cutter way to, to do it so if we have these great expectations of our students to continue to move learning forward then us as educators have to change the way in which we teach um, I want to say we got to get our egos out of the way uh, we've we fall back to this default this default mode of the way that we were taught you know teachers in the front of the room here are the things that we're doing here's my curriculum and let's get through it uh, that's not going to work anymore we need to engage we need to inspire we need to teach uh, we need to teach moral moral values we need to teach ethics we need to te- teach compassion so this you know value driven traits are a large part of of our of our of our goals in our teaching so these need to be embedded in our work that's great so more like innovative uh, ways to teach the student absolutely and I think that's tapping into the interests and ideas of students so kind of letting go of of the control of the classroom but letting letting students be the the guiding the guiding you know thought process in the room like we, we see a lot of inquiry learning now and I, I do see teachers they're terrified of it because it's it's totally student-led right and they might they might have an inquiry without an answer but I mean these are the things that we should be encouraging because when you have an inquiry project and an inquiry question that might not have an answer you have students looking for the answer cross-curricularly and working with their 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 classmates even going out to you know companies or or you know, different organizations to try to find answers on their own. Like these are the critical skills that we need our, our students to really be working on. Not here, here's a reading of 10 pages and answer these 10 questions. That's almost useless at this point. For sure. And I feel like so much, we've heard so much about, you know, we're, we're preparing students, always preparing them for something, but we're preparing them for jobs that we don't even, that don't even exist. I know we've all heard this. So how are we, how are we approaching this in our classrooms? I think the emphasis has to be on processes. We, are, we have to give our students the processes that they need in order to thrive in whatever environment that's coming up. And, you know, the question here was about evolution of education, and for sure it's changed. I mean, yes, we went to industrial, but, you know, after the war, there was this great interest in global citizenship education and in international mindedness now. And, you know, with, with um, you know, 2020 post-pandemic, uh, and all the changes in technology and now, you know, in conversations of innovation, we're talking about AI and, and even SpaceX and all that. Like, you know, there have been so many changes, but I will say that um, there are still remnants of, of that industrial mindset, right? We have, to tell you the truth, in my encounters, I've seen many different kinds of, I've worked with different educators who, who you know, I, I think subscribe to these old mindsets, but also some new ones. Um, there's a there's there's a variety, and they kind of there are echoes of them in pieces in education because of how formalized it is. Uh, so 
I, I always say, you know, it's about being conscientious now. We need to be intentional. We need to be open to reviewing the practices, the structures that are in place right now. Because some of them, you know, we're doing it because it's how it was always done, right? That's how it's always been done. And, and we need to, you know, every practice that we do, we have to really be intentional and review and make sure, is it serving my students right now? You know, because we have to, in order to um, do justice to their education, right? We have to be able to adapt and prepare them for the future, as we mentioned. But that's not going to happen if we are just continuing to do the same thing as we were before, right? We have to be honest and, and practice a radical, radical kind of honesty, radical candor with ourselves in education um, in order to do our jobs well. Yeah, so well put, Eileen. And this is something Andrew and I spoke about, I think, in episode one, like bringing back that joy uh, of learning and of teaching. Um, and, you know, this is something even for Montessori, right? It's the idea that the pr it's about the process work. It's not about the final product. Mm -hmm. And so learning must be enjoyed. Mm -hmm. And often self-directed in many ways. And often self-directed. Um, oh, oh, sorry. Yeah, I, I just, you know, it's really, for me, um, the the person that we're forming, right? The, the person that is becoming... This, the person that the student is becoming is uh, a formative process that occurs from K to end. And, and not to say that school is the only site where a person can become who they are, but because we spend so much time with these children and with these students, if we, we don't give them that sense of them be choosing, uh, then what, what, what can happen? I'll share a story. My son, he in, is in grade one right now, and he told me the other day, he said, I hate school. All I learn in school is that I have to do what I'm being told to do by my teacher and that you, mom and dad, I have to do it because you're going to make me do what my teacher is telling me to do. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I don't learn anything. Or this is what he said. He doesn't learn anything. So, I mean, because of how formal education is so structured, and it depends on the teacher's approach, right? And I, my son's only in grade one, but I, I really have to do a lot of work to tell him to contextualize his experience with his grade one teacher is just one grade one teacher. And I pray to God that next year he'll have a different teacher to help uh, give him a different sense, a different approach to diversify, right? His experience of education so that he knows it's not just that. Mm -hmm. But there are some students, mm -hmm. students that I've spoken to that never had that, that actually their teachers were pretty much the same, very formal, very structured, very much you know no, no ability to choose what he wants to learn mm -hmm. and he said that he said i don't get to choose what i want to learn mm -hmm. and my son is like obsessed with minecraft right now so <laughs> i was kind of laughing like well if you chose you know you would choose minecraft but um you know there's there's definitely room for discussion there but it's it's something that is still here yeah right? i don't think your son's experience is an isolated experience at yeah. all for sure yeah unfortunately yeah so i guess moving on to our next question are what are some supports intervention strategies whatever you think uh, that best serve our students people want to know what 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 is the best thing we can do for our students best thing you can do for your students so whether that's uh, a strategy um, I think that to teachers I'll, I'll say to teachers they have to you have to recognize or we have to recognize that we are the best tool in that classroom Sorry to see yourself as a tool, but really, um, <laughs> you know, we, we have a huge, huge, huge power in the classroom and, and have a huge impact on what that student experience is going to be. So for, for, you know, teachers who feel like they don't have a lot of control because we are, 
you know, bound by the curriculum and we are asked to, um, you know, in the Catholic board, we have to fulfill this obligation to develop the Catholic grad expectations and, and literacy and numeracy and now de-streaming and all of these things. Yes, all of those those things are, 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 are there and that are part of our responsibility, but never forget that you have a huge um, say in what your class is going to look like and how your students are going to experience their education with you. Uh, and, and the thing is, those um, we have to, I think, have a charitable mindset when we receive or hear about these quote-unquote initiatives, right? Like when and CRRP first started coming around in the board and we started talking about it, so many people had this reaction that surprised me. And they said, oh, this is just a fad. This is just a fad. And I, I felt quite upset about that because personally, as a, as a, a racialized person, I felt um, it was amazing to be able to actually speak to education that spoke to me that recognized my my personhood aspects of my personhood that you know i never got as a student so the best tool is is you um but tools can be honed tools can be developed you know we have to adopt that lifelong learning growth mindset um you know um, approach and and you you will only serve your students by doing that because no we're not perfect right we start somewhere but it's amazing when you uh, position yourself with students uh, as someone who's walking hand in hand with them and that you're growing I mean the questions that come are amazing and the the vision or the um, image of the of the world actually of reality that is shown is not one that's just uh, static or fixed it's something that's it's just um, so full of possibility so to kind of build on what you're saying um, I've been listening to the street data podcast and one of the questions that they finish with um, and they ask their guests is, what's a form of data that we should be paying attention to then in our classrooms? So not what's being told to us, but like what the students are telling us. Mm. How should that help shape our, our teaching practice? Uh, I hope it's okay, I'm gonna take this question mark. Uh, so <laughs> I'm an English uh, teacher, a literature uh, teacher by trade really, um, languages, and uh, qualitative data is something that is not often um, actually, I don't think I've ever heard in high school this discussion. And uh, doing my master's, I realized this is something that needs to be brought to high school uh, because qualitative data is powerful. It is actually the way that it emerged. It's aligned with equity because it it uh, no longer just asks for numbers, uh, you know, like quantitative data, and and removes the you know strips the aspects of the person when understanding their experience. In fact, it puts human experience at the core. So in terms of uh, what kind of data in the, in the class, if we're going to commit to student-centered learning, then the data that we have to follow has to put their experience first. That means that we have to look at qualitative, qualitative data more. But I wanted to hear what Mark would say about yeah, this. Yeah, we're being, you know, we've been very optimistic today with our, our, our language and our, and our data. But we do have to be mindful that 25% of our students are not graduating. And of that 25%, how many of those students are racialized, you know, black boys? Why aren't they graduating? So talking about qualitative data and surveys that we complete here in our board, Safe and Caring Schools, we talk about do you have questions like, do you have a caring adult that you can speak to in the school? Do you feel safe at the school? What do you, you know, and adding, maybe we should be adding questions like, are you engaged? Are you interested? 
Where do you see yourself after leaving school? Do you see yourself graduating? These are early entry points that can really tell us if we are doing what we were supposed to be doing or not. I think Socrates was very prophetic in saying that education is not the filling of a vessel, it's the kindling of a flame. And when we're talking about tools, as Aileen mentioned, if we're not sparking the interest in our students, we're not doing our jobs. We, if, if they're not engaged and interested and we're not tapping into what they want to learn and how they want to learn it, they're not going to want to be here. They're not going to want to graduate. They're not going to aspire to be inspired. So when we're talking about data, I think, yes, I, I totally agree that we need to look at the qualitative data and figure out why students that are disengaged, like, what, like why aren't they engaged? And there's a number of things. Um, but again, back to this equity work, I think that if we, 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 we did that research and really looked at that data, I think there would be you know, some patterns uh, that they, we might recognize that those students that are feeling that way might be not of you know the dominant uh, the dominant class or dominant race um, in our board. So I think that's important to look at and really say out loud. There's I think there's a fear of that right now. Mm-hmm. No, thanks for saying that, Mark. Because uh, although I'm a huge proponent of qualitative data, I'm also a fan of quantitative. I think that we have to use. I say this a lot, so Mark knows. But we need all the tools mm-hmm. in the toolkit. We need all the people, you know, all hands on deck, all, all individuals at every level need to be aligned uh, and work, move, moving forward um, and going. Uh, so quantitative data, we need to listen to patterns for sure and the data that's already been collected and uh, also be mindful of how there, the need for data can, can be weaponized sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Sometimes in advocacy by communities, uh, you know, we ask for recognition for example in in our board we've got nearly you know 30 percent of students are philippine um of, of philippine heritage and uh you know sometimes the response i get uh when we talk about the need to hire more philippine teachers is oh well we need more data we actually need more data to see how you know where this is going and i think i think we have to be very uh careful when we allow the need for quantitative data which is often very expensive right when we allow need for quantitative data to hold us back from from some of the actions that we can take now so i'm very pragma- pragmatic uh and i think that uh, qualitative data definitely need it quantitative data definitely need it so and this harkens back to the whole idea of the teacher as a researcher stance and the idea of really empowering teachers to use their knowledge and to use uh, the students in front of them to see, you know, where things are going, if they're making changes for them, if things are improving. And that can be done, as you said, in a qualitative way. It doesn't have to always be like a numerical, you know, oh, so many students did this or that. It could have that, you know, it could go that way, but there are so many different ways that we can, you know, see if what we're doing is making a difference for students. Oh, yeah. And you know what? Here's another point about qualitative data is that uh, because I think, I think forcing, not forcing that, sorry, uh, but encouraging that among educators now can be quite powerful because once you start looking at the types of qualitative data you can include i think it'll be easier to let go of some of our you know reliance on the old methods quiz essay paragraph written always written uh you know assessments um but if we you know you know like the the observation anecdotal data is also data 
that's mm-hmm. allowing us to assess uh, a student's uh, growth and, and development, a quick conversation here and there. Mm-hmm. But you, you know, all of that is collection. So I love what you said, Andrea, about teacher as researcher. That is what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Very often we're teacher as researcher, but we're action researchers in a lot right. of ways because our research, our roles in the classroom is also tied to interventions, right? Uh, you know, different things we're kind of creating. We're also structuring um, experiences. I love board games, so I kind of see <laughs> a lot of, you know, lesson planning is is trying to um, structure and create an experience for my students to go from here to that point and how they interact with others and the skills they're going to use while they get there right. uh, from, from start to end. Yeah. Different strategies, yeah, yeah. Well, because if we don't, you know, <coughs> reflect and reinvent and intervene with our students, then it kind of harkens back to our title of the podcast. If we mm-hmm. could replace by robots, <laughs> then perhaps we should be. Yeah, for sure. So you both have been talking a lot about teacher, teacher as researcher, um, but Mark and I have been talking a little bit more about teacher as coach, especially in a de-streaming classroom. Yeah, and a hot topic right now is, is de-streaming in our board, especially as an equity issue. And coming from a grade eight classroom, I've just realized that, wait a minute, I've always been teaching uh, in a D-Stream classroom. So for me to understand the challenges or the change that might need to happen um, kind of doesn't really make sense to me because I already do it in my practice. Um, but thinking around, thinking about it in a comparative, like comparing it to a, a coaching a basketball team has really made it make sense to me. So, you know, coaching a grade eight team or a grade seven, eight team and you have students coming in that are trying out that are at all different skill levels, have different skill sets, different entry points really, um, but you want them to ultimately get better. You want them to get better individually. You want them to get better as a team. And so you, you have to coach accordingly. So what that means is I might have an assistant coach come in and work with one group of students. I might you know focus on a skill for, for a little bit, but then move on. But really, in order for it to be successful, you got to really identify where the need is on your team and where the strengths, strengths are in your team. You, you work on the strengths, but you also improve on the weaknesses. But everybody's moving forward together. Um, so coaching, coaching a team is, with different you know, skill sets and levels is, is difficult. It's tricky at first, but if you're, very, if you're, you're, you're really purposeful in how you approach it, that the ultimate goal is making every individual better and making the team better, then that directs the way your practices are run, that directs the time that you spend and how it's focused, the same way as in the classroom. When you have students coming in at at different skill levels or or abilities or skill sets, you bring those out. You bring out the student's strengths. I think that's that's a key in a de-streamed classroom is what are the strengths of students? It's very easy for us as, as teachers to have this kind of deficit lens on our students and focus on all the things that they can't do. Um, that just frustrates students. Why not, why not focus on the things that we can do, strengthen those skills? And then, of course, yeah, we do need to go back and maybe build foundational skills, and that's fine. But let's, let's also meet the students where they are and then build them up. Yeah, that's right. In a de-streaming classroom, we're trying to build things from an asset-based lens rather than the deficit-based lens. We just have one more question for you, um, and we've so enjoyed having you on the podcast. Um, our final question for you is, what is the one message you would like to leave teachers with? I think it's evident by now. I can't. It's hard to choose just one message <laughs> for me. I think, if anything, it's, it's to remain hopeful. 
inequity work, especially when you experience it day to day, it can be easy to lose hope. Uh, sometimes you know, there's rhetoric out there that says, well, what's the point, right? Uh, how are you going to make a change? And there's nothing, nothing ever happens, nothing ever changes, but history will show you, you know, a good student of history will show you at the same time that there have been gains made often uh, because of, of the undaunting you know, advocacy of uh, people from minority groups, very often, uh, you know, black communities that are at the forefront um, that, that continue to say, you know, we will not accept any less than this. And I, I really, that's the message for teachers, I think. You know, don't lose hope. Don't accept any less, any less than the best. Thanks so much for that. Uh, I, I, would, I would just tell teachers, what an opportunity what an opportunity that you have um and i know this i i, I know it might sound cheesy but really we, you need to lead with your hearts you need to lead, lead with your hearts you need to be compassionate you know the ontario college of teachers has this pillar of care and i think it's just very often overlooked because it might seem a little bit simplistic but to really have students understand that you care about their best interest you care about their well-being you care about who they want to be and you're gonna you're there to help and support them get there that never take that for granted really lean into it you know it's not about that test on friday it's not about that assignment that needs to be done you know that those kinds of things come and go but if you can build character and i think i said it earlier about value driven uh, value-driven education I think for me if I had to talk to my younger self personally like spend more time on that be more meaningful with that and I think I did it inherently in the way that I interacted with people but to really have that in your classroom centered um, the learning the learning will come once you you are are self-assured you're self-confident um, and these are the skills that students I feel like they need first before they can, you know, conquer the world, so to speak. Um, so lead with your hearts, teachers, please. That's so well put, Mark. Thanks so much. Thank you so much to Mark and Aileen for being here today. We hope we get the chance to collaborate with you again in the near future. And thank you for all the wonderful work that you do. Yes, thank you so much. It's been great having you. Just a reminder, if you haven't done so yet, please check out the three TCDSB equity monographs available on the portal. To find our list of episodes and resources, go to intranet.tcdsb.org and click on Departments. Then select Student Success and click on Literacy 7-12. to And I just want to give a shout out to Catherine. It's been wonderful having her here. She has taken over for Laura Ribeiro for the past semester and she will be going back to her home school. We are going to miss her, but hopefully she'll come back as a panelist or in the future yeah that would be great thanks so much for having me and i look forward to the upcoming podcasts thank you Catherine. you'll be missed